This, uh, good morning, everybody. This is my mantelpiece, and on it, this is my most treasured ornament, sculpture, artifact, whatever you want to call it. Um, and why is that? It's not because it has great financial value. I've had it for about 30 years. I think if I took it down to the Antiques Roadshow and you know how people embarrassingly do because we're English and say, do you, do you think it might be worth something? Well, the gentleman in the bow tie would lean back and say, oh yes, yes, absolutely. If you, on a good day at auction, you might get between 30 and 40 pence for it. Um, nor is it because it has sentimental value. It was given to me by a, an old girlfriend 30 years ago and I have to say, Sadly, I can barely, barely remember her. That got a better laugh at 9.15, I have to tell you. <laughs> right. Um, what it is, though, is it was given with a Bible verse, and I keep it there because every day I look at it and I laugh at the Bible verse because it's a, it's a great example. And the verses in Galatians, it's, Bear ye one another's burdens, and in doing so you will fulfill the, the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens, you know. Uh, so every time I see it, I think that. And there's another verse while I was preparing this, I suddenly realized in today's reading, uh, which is equally relevant, which I will now associate it from now on, that John's just read so excellently. Bear <coughs> with one another and forgive one another any grievances. Uh, so bear one another's burdens, bear with one another, um, of which more to follow, of course. And we've been thinking in these weeks, weeks in which uh, we as Christians have been thinking about how as Christians and how as a church we can be more resilient. And last week, Hetty said, resilience is about taking a knock and bouncing back. But I will, I will add to that. I will say it's about the ability to take the knocks of life and continue through them and not be broken or diverted or thrown off course by them. Maybe even grow from them. The Americans have a popular saying that you'll have heard, uh, what doesn't kill you often makes you stronger. Except as the signs in the National Park say, except bears, bears will just kill you. But in general, well, that, that went down better. The, uh, <laughs> uh, what doesn't kill you, hopefully, we grow from. Colossians, of course, describes the greatest act of resilience that there has ever been, ever will be, or indeed ever can be. It describes how Jesus went to the cross, and as you know, he took all my sins, all my guilt, all the debt that I owed, and that of everybody else as well. And then on top of that were poured the powers of death and hell. But in this great act of resilience, he rose again, and it says in Colossians 2, forgave all our sins, nailing our debt to the cross and finally disarming the powers and principalities and publicly humiliating them in a sort of Roman triumph, as the image it calls up. And Paul tells us it's because we are now God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, raised new life, that are made into new men and women. That's why we should try and live like Jesus. Therefore, it says, therefore, the old preachers like Rob would always say, if you see a therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. Therefore, because you are holy and chosen, people of God dearly loved, put on compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and finally put on love. 
which binds them all together in perfect unity. And the images in verse 12 and 13 are like uh, getting up in the morning and clothing yourself. I was coming to preach today, so I didn't dare dress in my usual way, which at its kindest can be called sports casual. But the, um, I put on a proper shirt to give dignity to this lectern. And it's like that you choose to put on these things. You choose to clothe yourselves in these things. It's your choice. It's very intentional. And we need to make these choices every day so that whatever else is happening in our world, in our lives, we can continue to put into practice the love that we heard about from Hetty last week. Love that is long-suffering, kind, patient, that hopes all things, bears all things, endures all things, and never, ever, ever gives up. Love that reflects the love of God himself. Whatever trials might come, whatever hurts we might suffer, we hold on to that hope. And as you share with people at church, if you open your eyes and ears in church and get to know people, you will begin to discover the unbelievably difficult times that many people, most people here, will have had to go through at some point. Indeed, that many are going through right now or they know is coming to them. Sometimes I wonder... And I'm humbled by the graciousness with which people endure these seasons and survive them. More than that, how they remain so faithfully loving and reaching out to others through these times as well. But two things build resilience. Firstly, I see that their faithfulness and their disciplines to scripture and prayer and sharing mean they hold in this heart this trust, this absolute certainty that whatever else is going on, God is good. Not just some of the time, but all of the time. God is good all of the time, all off the time. And secondly, I see that when people are struggling through these times, the loving support of others around them who help them through it, and they do often emerge stronger, closer to God, and more able to help others as a result of the times they've been through. Like societies, like individuals, churches go through tough seasons, and yet we keep on serving, learning, worshipping, and caring together. And I want to share with you a picture I had just after we entered the season that we're in now. Now, those of you over a certain age remember the great trauma of Apollo 13. Uh, In 1970, I was nine, some of you weren't even born, but three guys sat in a rocket that's two-thirds of the way through the moon when it blows up. That's 1970s technology. It would take three of the younger guys to carry a television into the house. There are no mobile phones or calculators. This is essentially a Robin Reliant strapped to the front of a petrol tanker with a large banger on the back of it. Um, and the captain... Oh, I just say, I was telling this to somebody last night, and they said that sometime in the 80s, unbelievably, the capsule came to the Southport Flower Show. We must have been a really important town in those days. And he was taken to it by his parents, and his parents were very cross with him because they said, we've paid you to come in, and you're very unimpressed. And he goes, well, I'm sorry, Mummy and Daddy, he said. And you remember he was in trouble. I'm sorry, Mummy and Daddy. You know, there's no toilet in it. You know, it's tiny. Uh, he wanted, he'd been promised he could see the toilets. And expecting to see something that looked like the USS Enterprise, it did look indeed like a Robin Reliant that had been left in a field for a couple of years. It really is amazing how they thought they could get to the moon. But two-thirds of the way to the moon, it blows up. That 
that's just setting the scene. The picture I had when we entered the period we had now was in the movie. There's this scene, every desk at Mission Control, all these little engineers, each monitor, a vital task, a vital role with one function. Um, and the failure of that function will doom the crew to a terrible death. And there are dozens of these functions. And all the screens are flickering. And one guy, they start shouting out. One guy shouts out, the power's out, they're going to freeze to death. One guy shouts out, there's no engines, we can't get them home. One guy shouts out, the oxygen's leaking into space. And it goes on and on and on like this. And in the shouting, one voice rings out. It's Gene Krantz, the mission controller. He says, calm down. Calm down, gentlemen, we've not lost an American in space yet, and it's not happening on my watch tonight. Let's work the problem. Let's do our jobs. You remember that in the movie. And um, um, each engineer buckles down to his or her allotted role to get the crew home safely. The maths in their head says even their one function is hopeless, let alone all the other things that have gone wrong. But each of those little guys in their cheap, sweaty, 1970s nylon shirts. If you're, if you're young here, thank God you never had to wear a nylon shirt. Or did anybody ever sleep on nylon sheets? They were very trendy at one stage. Oh, oh, right. But each of these guys in their little cheap nylon shirts does their job, plays their part. Um, they refuse to abandon that slim hope that they might get the crew home. And just like Gene Krantz, Jesus says to us and has said throughout human history, whatever else is going on in your life, in the world around you, I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, I have conquered, I am in control. Do your jobs, carry out your purpose for me. And that's what Paul's calling for in today's reading. Each Christian has a vital role to play in showing the care for others that we are called to. To serve to people who know they have a new life in Jesus. To encourage one another through the trials of life. To find joy even in tough times. To bear with one another. To forgive one another. And in doing all this, to declare to each other and to declare to those who see us that God is good. God is good. And God has been so good, so good to us as a church. We have so much to be thankful for. I see so many people faithfully here, serving others, reaching out to others. I see cell group leaders and small group leaders and pastoral and youth workers and helpers, even just individuals powerfully beavering on, reaching out to people. I see people sharing and chatting to strangers they've never met before. I see our wonderful, sensitive worship leaders. I see, uh, I see a new energy in Cafe Church, in Cafe 1821, in Midweek Music, in Tuesday at 2. People really thinking about how we can reach out and care for others. I see two young, sorry Rob, I called you out, two young and fit um, ministers that we have access to to make sure, and good looking their wives tell me as well, you know, um, they're here so that we have Eucharist every Sunday. Many churches would kill for what we have. I see our financial giving, did I say it, is, is stable. And we, of course, have two gracious and caring wardens who have really had to step up uh, to service. Uh, we'll, we'll you can clap in a minute, don't clap just yet. They, uh, they, those who see closely what they do can tell you that they set an example to all of us in putting on love, in clothing themselves in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, I hope Sheila's not here today because um, Sheila and I were wardens during our last break and I can't speak too. Ha- oh. oh, 
<laughs> well, you were okay then, Sheila. No, <laughs> no. I can't speak highly enough about Sheila. I can understand why they made Sheila a ward, and I can't understand why they made me one. But Sheila and I had to guard this church for 11 months between vicars about five or six years ago. And sometimes we're tough, but we were always, always conscious of the support of the whole church during that period. But two things were different. Well, three things were different. One is that we knew it was coming. And two is we knew how long it was going to last. Uh, And three, um, oh, I don't know what three was. But anyway, (laughs) but Katie and Angie have had to accept this responsibility without warning and without knowing how long it's going to last until they're relieved. But I can tell you then one thing, that all of us will get behind them and care for each other and care for them, bearing with one another, forgiving one another until that time passes. We can clap now if you like. Yeah. Right. Okay. So how do we become that people of love that God wants that today's reading describes? Well, some people are very naturally empathic and the feelings will just pour out of them. I'm not that, like that. If you're like me, you'll be one of those people who are waiting for a loving feeling to wash over you. You'll be waiting for a long time. But fortunately, James says it's not about feelings. It's about what you do. It's about doing, as Rob quoted from Frozen 2 there three weeks ago, doing the next right thing. In our daily with interactions with others, bearing with another and forgiving one another will not come naturally. You know, it's not easy to bear with someone or forgive someone who's really hurt you, possibly in a life-changing way, let alone just because they did the flowers that way and you like to do them that way, you know. Paul says, though, fortunately for people like myself, that caring isn't a feeling, it's a choice It's deliberate, it's intentional, it's like choosing what to do. You clothe yourself in these attributes and you put on love and you do your role until you're asked not to do it anymore. And he offers us three pieces of advice to get us through that, to help us carry out those instructions. And firstly he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. If you've been hurt or angered or irritated by somebody. And I'm not saying that wasn't natural to understand that you're hurting or anger or irritated. Sometimes we're just touchy, but sometimes people have really hurt us. You have to deal with it. You cannot reach out to others while you are hurting or angry. You have to find the humility to take it to God. You have the humility to share it with faithful friends, to get prayer for it, but to make sure your heart is at peace. The peace that only knowing that you're in step with Jesus can bring every day. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Secondly, let the word of God, let the message of Christ dwell in your hearts. How so? Well, you've come to church by reading your scripture. Paul says by teaching, admonishing one another and worshipping together. Everyone here, if you're not in one, would benefit from being in a small group or some sort of midweek meeting. Or finding a faithful friend to share with who will challenge you. Because um, on the subject of admonishing, we all love to admonish, don't we? But you'd better be sure that you're remembering that no one is anyone else's judge. But on the other hand, if the conversation in your small group turns a bit negative, or you see a friend doing something so foolish that you know it can only really hurt them, their walk with God or other people, maybe it's your role to lovingly correct. Now, some people here will remember our former cafe manager, Annalise, who for this many years has been a missionary with YWAM and is now back at home in South Africa serving from there. Now, Annalise lived with me 
not in the biblical sense, but she lived in my house uh, for a year. And she became like a tough sister to me, a really tough sister. Afrikaners are not sentimental or lily-livered people. And the one phrase, the only Afrikaner phrase I learned in 12 months of having her in my house was, Ward wakker and rake de coffee, man. It means wake up and smell the coffee, John. Um, and she trotted it out so often, I knew it off by heart, and I deserved it. But every time I was negative or judgmental, or not doing something that she knew God wanted me to do, or doing something or saying something that she knew God didn't want me to do, she would not let me off the hook. She would say, John, Vodveka and Rinkti Coffee, grow up, be that man of God you're called to be. And, um, and you know, I valued that so much because it was done in love. She was the only house guest I've had in 20 years who I was genuinely heartbreaking heartbroken to see go not in a romantic sense um, as a sister who you know you won't see again for a long time who was dearly loved by you welcome and value correction and admonishment but be very slow to give it out yes so let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts let the message of Christ dwell in your hearts and finally and I don't want to talk about it too much even though it's important because Hetty well covered it both last week and in the instructions to cell groups Verse 15, be thankful. Verse 16, when you sing to God, sing with gratitude. Verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus. So I won't cover it further, but you get the idea. Be thankful. Thankful people are people who are happy and know the love of God. And when you know that, you can share it with others. For 200 years in this town... On this site, the people of God have come together to share that love with each other and with other people. You know, changed countless lives in that time, have built a town around a church. When, when William Docker came here, there was no church in a village with just a few houses and the sand dunes. He built a church. He said the people deserve a church. It wouldn't have been easy. He had to round up lots of support, lots of people who wanted to help him do it. But he built a church. And then the town started to grow around the church. But the simple message he wanted to share with people that God is good. God is good all of the time and all of the time. He chaired, long before there was a council, a Southport Borough Council, or let alone a Sefton Council, he chaired something called the Improvement Commissioners, where he got local gentlemen together to pave the street outside for the first time, to build the sewers, to open the first school in the town as well, because he cared for the lot of other people. But it wasn't just the big stuff. He was also faithful in small things. And on his obituary plaque out there that we had during the uh, memorial uh, exhibition, it said he was remembered in the town for his faithful visits to the sick and the poor and the old and the dying because people mattered. They mattered individually and they mattered collectively. And at that time, he never said the task's too big or no one can put this right. He just remembered his role to play and got other people to stand alongside him to, um, to carry out their roles in sharing this message of God, practically and spiritually, evangelically, going hand in hand. So beyond bearing with each other and forgiving one another, which are vital at a time when a church is going without, uh, without a, a vicar in charge, how else will we show caring these days? Each of us needs not to lose sight of the hope we have in Jesus to do the role that we are called to carry out.
It may be bearing with the frustration and aggravation of another and forgiving it. It may be talking to someone who you see on their own. It may be making the effort to visit someone who is sick or grieving. It might be that you are called into the cafe or the pastoral or the welcome teams. It might be reviewing what you give financially to the church or to charity or to the food bank or to Compassion Acts. And Compassion Acts have been emailing us at the moment to say that both they and the food bank, their resources are becoming insufficient to meet the growing poverty in our town. You don't know what the effects of your care and encouragement will be, but you will get a sense of where you can reach out to help others. Just some small examples of my own life. Unfortunately, I've been very lucky and not yet known two major traumas uh, in my life like other people have had to go through. Mine have been minor. But when I had COVID, Rahana brought me around Marks and Spencer's ready meals so I didn't go hungry. When I was roaming around Europe in the summer with no destination beyond the next night, Margaret King made me message her on WhatsApp every night with a picture to reassure that I wasn't dead in a ditch outside Naples. You know. <laughs> Paul and Emily have invited me for a meal. I'm not entirely sure why, because I'm notoriously fussy. And others have shown me tolerance and kindness on massive scales over the years uh, and put up with me and forgiven me when I have been a pain in the butt and got it badly wrong myself. All these things encourage me. All these things remind me that I am loved by people and therefore loved by God. It's an easier thing to feel and therefore it's an easier thing to share. And if you just think of the ways in which you have known encouragement and been built up by others This may give you some ideas about where your particular place to concentrate on is. You know, I don't think that anyone at NASA, because they were smart guys, ever really thought that they'd get the crew of Apollo 13 home. None of them would have gone down the bookies and betted 100 to 1 they would get them home. The whole world, though, watched the TV bulletins. At the height of the Cold War, the Russians were watching it in their thousands in Red Square and offering to send submarines to help if there was a splashdown. At school on that Friday afternoon, we prayed in assembly for a safe return. The Pope said a mass for thousands in St. Peter's Square. Half a million Hindus prayed in Delhi. The whole world was behind them and didn't lose that slimmer of hope that we would get them home. And the radio silence went on so long Everyone thought they'd failed, that their, all their efforts had been in vain and they'd burnt up on re-entry. And then finally, on one of the ships, a sailor points it up into the sky and the TV cameras see in the clouds a tiny capsule, this little bit of metal that's travelled to the moon and back, blown apart and got down safely. And a billion people knelt down and cheered and cried because their hope had not been in vain. And Paul tells us we should be the same With Jesus, whose promises are even more certain and whose victory over sin and death has been complete. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So I don't want to leave you with complex theology. I want to leave you with the simple instructions with Paul. Neither do I want you in your midweek groups to be saying, uh, as they do sometimes, I'm sure Rob will know, they say, what did Rob speak about last Sunday? You know, oh, I don't know. Sorry, I'm, I'm using you as an example, of course, Rob. Yours are always very good key points. Yes. But to It's very simple. This is what I want you to remember. Think of bears and remember three instructions from Paul, not complex theology. Bear with one another through this season, through all seasons. Bear one another's burdens. 
For in doing so, you carry out the commands of Jesus. And whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God our Father through him. Amen.